G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the pre-round 17 edition of the Footyology Podcast. Uh, don't know about you, but I'm starting to get pretty fatigued with this World Cup business. I've had uh, three hours sleep and then watch the game and then two hours sleep uh, as we come to you the morning after. Croatia, a country of four million people, marches into the World Cup final at the expense of the old dart. As uh, say, uh, a very good morning to you, Mark Fine. Good morning. Uh, You're trying to think of something in Croatian. You, you know what? The only thing I know in Croatian, I can't say on air <laughs> because I've got a few Croatian friends and their fathers. I've got a couple of Croatian friends and their fathers use. You know, the Croatian use. And any Croatian um, listener will understand this. The use of the F word in English by Croatians is magnificent because it's used as a pronoun. It's referred to the F and, you know, I mean... We're not going to replicate that. No, but but I'm just saying the F and played pretty well today. I've got to say, um, England looked like they had him sort of dead and buried, and as soon as Croatia scored that goal, yeah. England went to water. Their defence completely yeah, yeah. fell apart. It was a remarkable... Uh, Croatia didn't look like it for that first hour. No, no, they and did then, not uh, look like it. And they'd had played two periods of extra time, and then, um, yeah, the equaliser just gave them the taste for it. And I know it's soccer and not football, but it, it's that same psyche in football as well, where a team can be... A team can either be um, dead... Dead to the, you know, dead to the world, and find a spark. Have you ever watched a game, maybe with your own side Essendon, where they get jumped in the beginning of the game, and there's an expression in horse racing where you just want the horse's horse to gather its feet underneath it. In other words, if it's beaten for pace, it's it's not dead in the race. And there are times where a football team just needs to just get into the game. Mm. It's not the end of the world if the opposition kicks four or five goals. It's more the end of the world if you've gone two goals each and then they kick five or six goals. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah, yeah. you just have to get into the race and that like, four goals isn't that much. Yeah, I, I remember a game, one game particularly, um, round 16, 2001, when North Melbourne kicked the first 12 Yeah, I was saying, but that, that, yeah, but that was a famous game. That <laughs> yeah. was... That no, was, I just that I was, saw it again recently. I'm saying, but that was off to the races. But you'll often see a team, you know, three or four goals to the good, and you don't panic until... You know you, the other side's still in it. Well, they just haven't really arrived yet. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And they just need to gather their feet underneath them. And that's sort of what happened to Croatia as soon as... It's funny how the psychology of just getting in soccer a goal, but even in football a goal, mm. can... Reef can get a team suddenly focused into playing the game. Well, which is exactly what we're going to do now. Um, a few stories around this week. I guess the most important one, the re-signing of Rory Sloan for Adelaide, five-year deal. Um, 
I, I didn't see the phrase actually. I was hoping to uh, about a, uh, a a crow for life. Uh, well, in football terms, that's actually true. But he's twenty eight, so that sort of sees his playing days out. But um, pretty important, I would have thought, finally for a number of reasons. I mean, one, um, you know, there's been this talk lingering throughout the year about disgruntled players, so I think it's sort of a bit of a message to some senior players there who might be equivocating about their future, sort of saying, we've still got one. Um, and I think just symbolically for that whole club, given Having the Having lost a few. Well, yeah, and, and it's a considerable list when you go through it. I mean, it starts, I think, with Nathan Bock, but Nathan Bock, Phil Davis, Jack Gunston, um, Paddy Dangerfield... Jake Lever, Charlie Cameron. I might have even missed one there. Um, but it, just from a symbolic point of view, yep. had they lost another one of that ilk, you could just see everyone going... Mick McGovern being... Yeah, yeah. ...being circled. Uh, yeah, it's a bit so, it, so it's significant, isn't it? Well, significant enough for the players to gather around him and sing another... F- what were they singing? Uh, five years more? Five more, five more, something five like that. More, yeah, five more. Yeah. I mean, they were really happy about yeah, it. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. Footage, Hat. If you haven't seen it, it's on the Adelaide website. Yeah, good on, good on Rory. He had plenty of offers to come back home. His girlfriend, I think, is yeah, she's due and, soon. Yeah, and they're they're sort of east, eastern suburbs types. Yeah, not hard. See, from the basin or somewhere around there, it was yeah. Ferntree Gully or I think he played. I think he played for Eastern Rangers. Yeah, and he was out in that sort yeah. of uh, Bayswaterish so, sort of region. Um. Maybe even not Roval. Anyhow, I'm only guessing now. So the look, you know, St Kilda certainly were into him, and it obviously took a big five year offer. I, mean, I forgot that, one. I did forget one. Kurt yeah. Tippett. Yeah, of course, and that was big. I mean, you know, that pie company lost one of their major employees. <laughs> <laughs> um, who was that pie company? Was it Gil- uh, not Gillies? That's from Ballarat, Balfour's. Balfour's. Most Balfour's. Yeah. So the, you know, the they had to, five years is a big offer for a player that's had some injury concerns. I mean, it can be, you know, that can be a, a thorny one potentially at the end of that at some point, but that's probably what they had to put on the table to secure him. And he showed just coming back from an absence last week, what a difference he makes to the two. Yeah. And I, look, I tell you what, they might, even if they finish off this season badly, I'm not going to fall for that, oh, they're gone thing. No, because of I, not. Yeah, well, I reckon plenty of people do, you know, and we, we should have learned our lesson after what happened with Richmond in 2016 and what happened with Geelong back in 2006. The one-off aberration is still very much possible, and they have just had a year from hell with injuries, so much so that um, they lost something like, I think nine nine players uh, to soft tissue injuries in a period of seven weeks. It was ridiculous. Uh, look, I I agree. I mean, and I view my own club the same way. I, I view the period before sixty six as sort of a half century aberration, and <laughs> since sixty six a half century aberration. So they're only aberrations. But look, Adelaide have you know it's been nasty their run with injuries. Yeah, and I really find the whole overlay of the pre-season being to blame and probably even comments by Jake Lever that uh, there was a 
a, a real disappointment after last year's grand final that might have played a part. I, I just think, I really believe this whole story of the preseason mm. is a journalist or two, or one journalist, having, you know, getting an idea. Maybe this is better for Media Watch, but sort of the seed in his head, something sort of <coughs> triggered. Oh, they had a preseason camp. Was pretty tough. Was one of those confronting ones. They're going badly. Um, I could make a story out of this. And yeah. Not hard to get, and not hard to get uh, a couple of players who've had disappointing seasons to come along for the ride, play the blame game. I, I don't think it's quite as sinister as that because I've heard from a you know a reasonably good source that the um, the disgruntlement. About that, and we talked about this the other week. The indigenous guys w- was very real, but I agree with what you're saying in that, and I can understand how it happens innocently enough. A journo gets a sniff of something, and you know the info is pretty good, and then you combine that with yeah, their performance goes bad, and then there's a bit of speculation about guys' futures, and it seems like a perfect storm sort of thing, and. That might all be the case, but I think as journos, sometimes people are prone to give that a greater import than it actually has, you know? So, yes. Well, it was one of the Sams, Edmonds or McClure, I, I confused them. Uh, Sam McClure, I think, was on the, it was sort of getting the info about the camp. Yeah, because I heard him talk about Well, actually, it. no, to be fair, the, the, oh, the first mention I heard about that camp was um, Caroline Wilson wrote a column about it back yeah. in March. Right. So, when she does Sam her best work between October and March. Well, it was good work. Sam McClure ran with it, and I heard him speak afterwards about the people that ran the program, and was aghast that they didn't have psychology degrees. Mm. Um, first of all, what qualifies him or any journalist to identify the qualification? Educational standards required to run one of these camps. Well, it depends. I'll, I'll tell you. It depends having, what you're doing. Having, on the got camp. A, having got a psychology major, which I do, it ain't it ain't nothing you'd run a camp with. Um, so it, it's like they don't have degrees. Uh, no, you actually don't need degrees. And I think leading team. What was the leading know, teams? Yeah, leading teams. This is very similar to leading teams, and leading teams was given. Great credit in Geelong's turnaround yep. from ignominy to glory. So yep. where's the where's the rub? Why get stuck into the program? If the program didn't fit Adelaide, fair enough. Mm. But I think personalising it and attacking the people who run this program is very unfair. My point was going to be, though, that um, I think media people, because they're outside and they hear some info that isn't, People aren't, haven't been privy to, they think, well, I'm onto something here that they want to keep hidden. And it's easy for a journo in that space to give this thing a greater importance than it actually has. And a, a lot, most of those Adelaide players might have been pissed off about what happened, but it doesn't mean that the whole club's going to fall apart or that they're going to stop trying or it, it makes a two goals per game difference in terms of their performance. And this is what... Actually, maybe it's worked. Maybe given how many injuries they've had, mm. the fact that they're they're showing some character now and the season's not over, maybe it did work. Maybe it's about 
getting through adversity, and they've they've faced adversity this year. They have. This is yeah. We probably should talk about this in Moody Watch, but we're talking about it now. The um, I think that's another thing that happens with the reporting of footy that we um, as journo's see a problem with a team or a club or whatever, and it's it's sort of like there there mustn't be a problem. If there is a problem, things are terrible. Whereas footy clubs are quite large organisations and they have playing lists of, you know, 44, 45 players, and they have huge coaching staffs, not everyone is going to like each other. There are going to be the same petty jealousies and backstabbing and stuff that goes on in any workplace. Of course, of course. But I don't think we put that in perspective. So if we hear about something that's gone wrong, oh, no, you know, like whereas... The the public have been fed, and this is in every sport, in every walk of life, in, you know, the media gives them an answer to a question that they probably don't have an answer to. But the question is, why are we going so bad? Why is Carlton going terribly? Why is St Kilda going terribly? Why? You know what? Why? Because probably they're just not as good as the other teams in many cases. But so desperate and so conditioned have we become to thinking that every failure or every, you know... in any any team, any political party that's not winning, there must be an underlying reason. What's well, the search for content? I mean, there's you know we've got saturation coverage of the game. There doesn't and, have to be a reason, and it, it's overanalyzed. Yeah, yeah. But if you're doing a uh, an hour long TV or radio show that is based on analysis, you can't just say, oh, well, they're not as good as the other one. You well, have to. I'm saying, but that that will be it. You know, what's the reason? So you can break down every element of a football club and compare it to a successful team. Yeah. And almost as as illogical is when a team is successful, the rush to praise and heap praise on every element the of the CEO. club. Well, you know, Neil Baum was a brilliant yeah. pickup by Richmond last year. Yeah. Everything became magnificent. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Now, a couple of things I wanted to touch on too. You mentioned yep. Carlton. Um this uh, this whole thing about um, draft assistance has emerged again. I think Ralph, John Ralph, might have written a column yesterday in the Herald Sun. Yep. Um, look, I'm what I'll, I'll go with my take on that. I, I don't. I'm not a big believer in in that theory. I know Kingy's sort of big on this one too. That the bottom sides don't get enough assistance with the draft now, and they need more help. I don't buy that. And you and I as, you know, 50-something-plus-year-olds who've followed the footy all our lives. We've seen sides down the bottom of the ladder for decades, you know. Like, you, you need to be able to rise up yourself, really. I, can't I, I agree with Kingy, though. What? That they don't get enough out of the draft? Hang on, wait, wait. I just want to make this point, though. Yeah. The Ralphie sort of threw this up. I'm not having to go at Ralphie here, but Ralphie threw up this thing. Well, why not make the priority pick thing based on uh, you know, two or three years' results. I actually agree with that. I'm not opposed to the idea of a poor-performing priority draft pick if it's spread over a number of years and there's several criteria, so it makes tanking uh, pretty difficult. But it uh, it always makes me laugh when that comes up because we had that system, and people don't remember this, but between 93 and 97... There was, and it was actually called the poor performers pick, 
And I think if you have a look through your your books, um, it, it was only utilised two or three times. I'm pretty sure, um, oh, was it one of the guys, oh, Jamie Elliott, who went from Fitzroy to Richmond? That, St Kilda. Uh, yeah. What, bow, bow. Yeah, well, it was, <laughs> it was only utilised about four or five times. Yeah. People talk about tanking or whatever, and to me that sort of it, it was convoluted enough the formula, so that that whole thing about tanking. Why did that never come up in that five years when we had that priority pick? The tanking discussion first started surfacing after that was changed to yeah, if you win less than a quarter of your games, so fewer than five and a half wins, yeah. you're eligible. And it was Ian Collins, and I love Colo, but he was the man who brought that in that changed that formula, and it worked on a an annual basis. So that did actually raise the feasibility of sides tanking, and everyone could be across. Well, if this side wins another game, you know they get the priority pick, and that's how that whole perception about tanking started. So it's another thing in footy that we had right, and we fiddled around with it, and we led to all this sort sorts of unintended consequences. Yeah, well, first of all, I think the current system, you know, a pick, I think the priority pick comes in at the end of the first round. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's what they, with this mooted pick, yeah, you mean. Yeah, that's no help. Pick one, then pick 19, and then pick uh, 20. Well, you can debate how big a help any of it is, really. I mean, well, I've got a system that absolutely helps, and, and I, I sort of ran it past the listening public when I was on radio at SEN. And it was strongly received, and it is a great way of evening up the playing field. So what is it? But it's not to do with draft choices. It's to do with recruiting. And my theory is that the problem in recruiting is that when a player becomes a free agent, he's drawn to the higher clubs. So Tom Lynch is more likely to go to Richmond or a Maybe Collingwood, but Richmond is hot on the radar. That yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. That's what ruins football. Yeah. So my belief is that whatever contract price you pay for a player, so let's say he goes to Richmond at a million dollars a year over five years. Mm. A scale is set up from the top team to the bottom team with an impost and a discount for what it affects your salary cap. So if Richmond are paying a million dollars a year in actuality to Lynch, as premiers, that might cost them $1.75 million a year in a salary cap. Whereas Carlton, if they finish last and pay him a million a year, that might only be half a million in their salary cap. So they would be able to afford to pay him much more. So they could offer him $1.3, $1.4 million a year. But by finishing last, they only figure X per 50% of it in their salary cap. Whereas Richmond would find it very hard at $1.75 million a year in their salary cap to fit him in. Because there is no way that the premiers should be picking up the number one. Mm. Yeah, well, it goes completely against the spirit Correct. of the draft. And but, and but you scale it right the way through from eighteen to one. Yeah, no, I like inc- it incrementally. I like it, just, and it's fair. Just let me play devil's advocate, though. Yeah. The um, players' association would say, I mean, my understanding about free agency coming in 
um, you know, the AFL can say, oh, we didn't intend it to have, we intended it to help, you know, lesser players sort of who's struggling for a game get to other Correct. clubs. But really, it was a, it was a, um, a sap, if, a sap or a sop to the Players Association to loosen up player movement yes. because basically we're getting into restraint of trade territory and those draft rules were always sort of, um, were always able to work only because of a tacit agreement between both Correct, parties, of course, which of course. would never stand up in a court. Correct, the draft so, and a salary cap. Okay, so free, my point is, so yep. free agency comes in and that appeases that, yes. right? Now, if you're setting up that scale you're talking about, you're still effectively preventing players from going where they want, which is restriction of trade. But you are getting them more money, which is... Uh, so you make it more enticing for them to go to the work. Correct. Clubs. So they're getting one point four million a year instead of one million a year because yeah. it only figures in the salary cap. Cap, but it would allow Carlton to pick up two guns from other clubs. Yeah, which is how you start to improve from the bottom up. It really works if you have a look. If yeah, you, no, no, if you scale it right through, mm. then it's fair. For, you know, why should the third team be paying? You know, be picking up. Hawthorne, again, are in the market for top players. Sydney pick up top players, and they are regenerating their position in the eight and not allowing other teams in, and this is a way to counter it. Okay, we've got to wrap it up there, but two questions quickly. Um, Do you think uh, Carlton should have a priority pick, and do you think they'll get a priority pick? Because they haven't applied for one. Um. Yeah, I think they should get it as long as it's kept out of the hands of the GWS-loving Steve Silvani. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Well, but I'm saying, but they've misused it. Yeah, they've, yeah. They've, that's, a, they've completely... That's another question. They, well, they've completely recruited wrongly, and no club, no CEO or president should have allowed that to happen. All right. Um, I think... I, I need to just explain why. Yeah, well, that's, hurry. Yeah, I'm saying... You know, this glut of GWS players is illogical. Don't tell me that every time they wanted to fill a position, the best choice was a GWS player. It's mathematically absurd. What it was was an ex-GWS list manager becoming their list manager and being beholden to players that he had previously recruited, which is unprofessional. Yeah, it's also about... Yeah, I've got more sympathy for it than that because it's uh, there's a certain age demographic that they had a real paucity off and it helped. But 17 clubs fill that. They yeah, needed know, to look seven, at 17 but clubs, but not 17 one. 17 other clubs weren't turning over the entirety of their no. list. Good point. We're in different territory here, though. We'll discuss it another time. Okay. Um, I don't think they should get a priority pick. I, yeah, because Essendon people hate Carlton. No. <laughs> Can I just disendorse those remarks? And it's got absolutely nothing to do with that. Uh, no, I don't think anyone should get one. <laughs> disendorsing at the moment. Are you running for parliament? What disendorsing is so political. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, um, it's not, no, it's no, not well, in my I, vernacular. I like Carlton people. I want to keep sweet with them. Um, no, I don't think anyone should get one uh, at the moment. I've, I've had enough of the constant, you know, thing uh, thing changing of the rules. Do and, my system. That's a. It's a. It's what fans want as well. They want ready. They want, you know. It's great to pick up, you know, a, a Tom McGillicuddy, but who knows if he'll be any good? Yeah, well, that's the thing about the whole. Oh, don't start me. This is the whole thing about the whole flipping draft. We cut down forests of trees to print the newsprint on which 
hundreds of thousands of billions of words are written about whether pick nine's better than pick just, 16, and it's all rubbish. I mean, compare Cripps and Kerno, Charlie Kerno, yeah. to Murphy and Cruiser. Yeah. So what pick were Cripps and Kerno? Cripps was a left third. You yeah, know, yeah. An yeah, early... To- early. We're talking about... You yeah, know. well, Pafani, this comes from the same place as spending an hour talking about why a team basically isn't as good as another team. You know, they're not as good. That's it. All right. Um, but you want to get Carlton back on back on track? Make it possible for them to get Tom Lynch and Mitch McGovern, and then they'll start improving. Okay. Well, you can apply for a job there as list manager. We're going to move on with our next segment. On Footyology Media Watch. Ah, uh, yes, the old Media Watch controversial segment. It has been, uh, I don't know where it's going to go today. might be a bit of free-forming. I've got a couple of things uh, I wouldn't mind bringing up, but they're not they're not Watergate, I'll be honest. So, um, finally, you did come in here and tell me you had some fodder for Media Watch this week, so uh, I'll leave it to you to open the batting. Fire away. What's on your mind? Tricky, because I am an ex-employee of 1116 SEN who was... Um, lost my job and a job that I loved and am I disgruntled? Well, I'm not gruntled, um, but I'm not disgruntled. I, you know, so why not, is that tricky? Because it's, you know, people say that I am uh, too close to the flame, that I am conflicted in discussing their current ratings. And you are an employee of 1116 SEN. And am I? You <laughs> two are... You know, conflicted, but we are strong, independent media types. And yeah. if talking about Media Watch is a segment on our program with so many football identities, such a strong football during the football season content on 1116 SEN, a new management with a heavy pay structure, publicised wages, Hutchison on eight eighty five thousand. Cleary over four hundred thousand. Eighty five thousand, you said. Eight eight five. Oh, right, right. Um, around there with bonuses. Gee, yeah. be doing well to collect those. All right, so we're talking about the ratings. That we're come talking about out the ratings that have come out. Ratings survey number four, a mark drop, um, down to three point two, and from three point five six or three point five. Yeah, but think... the fact is, again, lower than this time last year. Look, Craig comes on. And spins the ratings every rating period. And hang on, okay, I'm I'm going to um, not play devil's advocate, but on, in fairness to Hutchie on that one, I mean, if there isn't a radio station that doesn't spin the ratings results. To yeah, but suit he, their he does a broadcast, and that's yeah. okay. You know, he has to do it every time, and it's going to be hard if they're going to be ratings like this. Because the bottom line is, the station um, shedded. A lot of very loyal, and I'm not talking just about me or about Marco and Ox, uh, contributors as well, you know, 30 or 40, 50 people who would come in, many paid, many unpaid, many paid nominally, um, high quality across the border, and a lot of big names were all cast aside. It was a big change. The station invested heavily in Jared Waitley, a reported wage of half a million a year and a contributor's budget of over a quarter of a million a year is rumoured, strongly rumoured, and makes sense. Now, he was 3.6 down to 3.1. So he's rating 
less than the same time last year that Kevin Bartlett was. Across the board, you know, as somebody who I lost my job, it'd be a lot easier to swallow that pill, honestly, honestly, if my replacement was kicking goals. Yeah, okay. So let me, I'll, I mean, okay, just let me put it on the line here. I'm in a difficult position here because I am still employed employed by them. So, um, put the pads on and defend. Uh, no, no, well, I'm not, I I will ask you questions that are like in a journalistic sense. So, why do you think the ratings weren't great? Um, because the station, has underdelivered compared to their predecessors. Look, it was a labour of love for most of the hosts on 1116 SEN. We were given free reign to put together a program, and we did so in a segment-based, with a segment-based philosophy. In other words, hour by hour, different people contributing and taking ownership of those segments. That has basically been lost by Jared Waitley. It, it now has more of a Fox Sports feel of a rotation of major stories. I think there's less, there, there's far less so coverage, less, less voices, less interesting stories covered, um, far more regurgitation, far more repetitive radio, and... Whilst the repetition might be the main stories that people do want to hear, fair enough, there still was a big ratings pull. SEN had, and you can check this out in ratings, you know, the average listening time for an SEN listener was huge. And that gets cut back when you repeat. So, so do, people so, that listen all day are less likely to do so now. I okay, think. so do you think. Um the audience they have now is less loyal than the one they did have. Yes. Yeah, less, okay. invi- less loyal and less less prone to... And, of course, there is another sports station, even though their ratings, bar Marco and Oxy got 1.1, mm. were in, you know, infinitesimal? Infin- yeah, yeah, yeah. Little? 0.1. Some hours were had zero, had the asterisk, the dreaded no ratings at okay, all. Okay, so no let me ask listening. you this. Do you think, has SEN got the, is it the same audience it had but just fewer and they're tuning in less or have they swapped a segment of uh, their old audience which has tuned out altogether and found a new audience but it's a new audience which is not as loyal or tuning in as long as the old one? No, I think I think they've lost a substantial amount of their old audience who tuned in out of curiosity. And I think the figures show that they're sort of each ratings period turning off more and more and they've got to stop the bleeding. And the major concern is that the heavy investment, to me, the station promotes itself and, and would sell itself to advertisers on Waitley and live sport. Yeah, live I was going to say, they've changed focus, clearly. Live sport yeah, has mean, become the predominant... Well, yeah. they, they do no more live sport than SEN did. That will change in summer with cricket. Yeah. But SEN did basketball, SEN did... All the sports that they've done, SEN did previously. Uh, they do no more football. They will change in summer with cricket, but in cricket they'll come up against um, Macquarie and the ABC... And, of course, T1. 
television. So it's a crowded market for cricket coverage. And given the saturation of advertising on SEN, which I think is also problematic at times, they're going to find it very hard to pull listeners from the ABC who do a, a decent cricket product, probably even you know, known to be better than their footy product, I think. Again, just sort of playing devil's advocate here, I guess people would argue that when you make such wholesale changes as they did, um, you, you have to allow it a reasonable amount of time for people to become familiar with the programming. Um, actually, that's one interesting and pay point. yourself top dollar on well, the way. That's, that's, well, I'm saying it's a part of it. You know? Yeah, but that's one interesting thing with this. See, I, I think people who are regular radio listeners enjoy um, familiarity, you know, knowing who's on when at a particular point. One thing I've noticed, with, and it may be right or wrong, but one thing I've noticed with the footy coverage, the match coverage, is it's very fluid. It's sort of like a whole AFL Nation. It is quite like confusing. Roster of people. Yeah, yeah. So there's no sort of Friday night team per se or Saturday. Yeah. Do you think that... Uh, do you think that puts people off or do you think people don't care? No, that does put people off. I think there was a real opportunity to set up a very strong Friday night calling team. Jared Waitley has his fans. Uh, Huddo's an excellent caller. Um, I think the rush to well, hey. <laughs> rush to make change... Oh, I lost my Friday night. Well, I'm saying the rush, to make, the, rush to, the rush to change is concerning. Um I would I would question one of the uh, one of the principles in the takeover was um, John Rothfield, Doctor Turf. Mm. Um, given that there is some opposition coming, obviously from Mark Allen and David Schwartz at the new radio station, it's very surprising that as, almost as soon as they went to air, he took a week off to go to Warrnambool, and now another couple of weeks off for further travel or holiday. I don't think that that's taking that threat very seriously. And I'm, you know, I, I think had he been a... Had you had a team that was just employees, management would have said, right, full focus, they're coming after us, we defend our position, not allow one of the hosts to take a week off and then come back for two weeks or three weeks and take two more weeks off. What what do you think Physical. people's what do you think people's perception of the regular weekday lineup is? Do you think they're um do you, do you, it's, all, it's uh, also uh, well, hang on wait 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 well. let it's me ask as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it, depending on broadcasting commitments and I mean Jared Waitley had to go to South Africa and do the cricket, which I understand. But do you think do people like the regulars? Do they not like the regulars, or are they indifferent to the regulars? All right, so it's the same breakfast team as was at SEN. Yeah, with some changes with their um, you know, sort of guest hosts. Um, they've held their ground, not high ground, but they've held it. Um, yeah, wait- they went back a bit this survey, I think. Um, powerful investment in Waitley. Yeah. Um, the numbers aren't strong. Um, look, he's very comp- He's very good at his, you know, 
he's wheelhouse is the interview that that with gravitas, but does that belong between nine a.m. and twelve a.m.? That's generally, yeah. I guess it's when Neil Mitchell's on, which is fairly serious as mm, well. Mm. Um, so maybe it's that approach. But yeah, it's it's hasn't really you know taken hold, but I think it can. Um, often that lunchtime spot's always been difficult for whoever's done it. I guess it's when tradies turn off and whatever. I don't know. It's just a hard spot. So Andy Ma does the best he can. Yeah, I, I like Andy's show. And and it feels to me like that drive show has not been warmly accepted. But that went up in the ratings. Still, you know. I, yeah, I, I reckon actually, to, quite honestly, I think that's probably. I get the sense just but anecdotally. It's in the freeze. I get the sense anecdotally that people are starting to get used to that hour and they're not minding it. Yeah, I don't know because that used to be that's always been SEN's strongest, um, strongest um, ratings period, and it should you know it's it's you know tradies and you know people on the way home. Catching up with the day oh, sport. Tradies. tradies will go home about 3 p.m. But, but you know, it, it, and it built a real rapport with those, with working class, you know, blue collar, you know, sports loving listeners. Yeah. And, and to be honest, evenings were strong as well when you can, consi- when you consider, you know, the huge amount of, you know, hours that had to be covered. We did well at night, at night and got some good numbers. Now, I guess, you know, are they worth defending? The evening host barely ever hosts it, so that's it's a mishmash. You know, Jack Heverin fills in for mornings, goes overseas to call lawn bowls. Okay, maybe not priority one for the station, but still it's, you know, when the ratings come out, they're just numbers, and that is certainly looked at. Um, they haven't got a big winner yet where they would have hoped Waitley was the big winner or Sport was the big winner. But, okay, can I just chip in here? Because I think But this, they seem to have a lot of advertisers. But I, I think, yeah, well, that's... The see, guy, the, you know, from schnitzels to... There's a bigger strategy going on here, though, Fine, You're talking about a national sort of broadcaster. Is that where they're headed? I think so. Um, so, and, so that's a real loss to Melbourne. Melbourne, the Melbourne lovers of sport that had something quirky and special with SEN, mm. that'll be gone in a year, and it's a huge loss. But I, I think there's another element to this too, which is part of the um, the breakdown of the old sort of mass media models. And in the case of radio, it's about podcasts like we're doing now. I think more and more people are getting their radio fix at a time that's convenient to them. Um, and I think that there's more niche broadcasting now, more specialist programming. And in the same way that, you know, fewer people, you know, reading newspapers because they can get specialist knowledge at a particular place. I reckon that is, you know, it's only logical that that is probably happening. Yeah, you know, it's happening with um, TV and Netflix. And I think it's sort of happening to a degree with radio and podcasting. Now, you're right. But through all of that, until the end of last year, Surviving in that environment, moving slowly with the times, but moving with the times, was this quirky little creation called SEN, started by um, you know, a, a group that didn't have the finances, taken over by a publicly listed company, organic, different, 
you know, it, it meant that there were so many different voices. You know, I just think of people like Craig Harper, from my perspective, Jeffrey Poulter, um, Stephen Peake, Howard Cotton. It, you know, like them, loathe them, doesn't matter. But there were a, such a variety. Gavin Krasiska, Mick Hall, um, Nigel Carmody, isn't he kicking goals? Well, I want to, can we, okay, let's wind but this up. But I'm just saying that all these people, as part of this quirky, almost, almost um, regional little station, mm. but it was in a major city, and it made money every year. Made in se- made seven figure profits, made over a million dollars profit every year. No one was getting hurt doing it. It's a loss. Yeah, no, I, I look, I absolutely understand. And you were a part of it too, and you know, yeah. Well, like I say, I'm in a difficult position because Nathan I was. Buckley, but Nathan Buckley started it, his media at SEN. Yeah. In between playing and coaching, Nathan had a year at SEN. Matthew Lloyd. I mean, so many people were able to cut their teeth at SEN. Well. I was part of the old structure. I'm still sort of part of the new structure. I want to. Judas. I want to. I want to. Well, <laughs> no, not at all. You make it. Make it good, mate. Make it good. Well, I, li- I listen. The bits, all the time. The bits that I do, I'd, I'd like to make good. So um, I don't know. I hope the next rating survey is better. Really quickly, because we, we've got to move on. But uh, you mentioned Nigel Carmody, and uh, people might have noticed that he made his calling debut last Sunday alongside uh, Brian Taylor in the Essendon-Collingwood game. And um, I think he acquitted himself really well. He's a good caller. We've got... um, There's a a new sort of breed of caller emerging, and Fox Footy have given most of these guys their first goes. You know, Adam Papalia, this is from a TV perspective. Uh, uh, Brendan Speed is another one who's done work for them. Uh, Maddie Granland, who Do you we like both worked with at SEN. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not that sort. Um, I, all those guys that I've mentioned, I, I think Got they're him. really impressive. What I find interesting, though, is that with the Fox footy guys particularly, um, there's sort of this be heard and not seen thing with them. Like, you never see them on camera. It's sort of like, have we got to the stage now where you can only get your noggin on camera if you're someone who's played 200 games? Because I think or a that's a looking But that's a bit disrespectful, I reckon, to those guys who are, are really good callers. Welcome to the world of Fox Broadcasting. But is that their model too? That you? So yeah. how would you sum that attitude up in a sentence? Cringeworthy. Um, <laughs> that's one word. word. In a sentence, I would describe it as, unfortunately... Um, Viewing the, having very little faith in the viewing public. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you said that. It annoys me. Thinking, it's, that, thinking that you know, we're all obsessed with the views of someone who's. You know that expression. It's been thrown at us. You have got a good head for radio. Yeah. That that you really need a, a good head for TV. You know that people out there. But it's not even will that not in be this able case. to. People out there. People will not be able to consume anything other than a recognisable footballer, and they're all pretty good-looking roosters, aren't they? Or Jesus. or um, an attractive, albeit well-trained and well-spoken female. And you know how I know this is true? There is an ABC cricket journalist, a female journalist, and I don't know her name, and I, I, I will have it for next week, and she is a brilliant cricket analyst. Mm. She's maybe in her early fifties, 
and she's you know not a young, pretty young thing, but she is the best female voice in cricket. I can't remember her name. I've only seen her once or twice. I've heard her a few times on Radio National. I'm not sure who you're talking about. I'll look it up. Well, you know, when I'll, you, I'll look it up. In, well, when in you men- when you mentioned. Um ABC journalists. Oh, and, my phone's dead. And uh, uh, can Carlos, could you help us out? Carlos, our, our producer. Just by doing that. Cause ABC, ABC cricket journalist, female, and she can is Can I talk excellent. while he's doing that? Yeah, of course. The, um, the name, uh, I've got to know this woman a bit through Twitter, actually, and people of our vintage would remember, and younger, but remember Debbie Spillane off yeah, Channel yeah. 2? Yeah. Like, Deb has been one of the foremost sports journalists in the country for, you know, three, getting on for four decades. And people forget about them. They sort of talk about this new breed as trailblazers. Well, there were women in sports media back in the early 1980s. Karen Ty? Yeah, Karen Ty. That's another one I was thinking of. She's Karen's been around forever. Carl has produced this excellent cricket journalist. And how often do we see her? Her name is Kate. Oh, Kate McGregor. Yeah. Yeah. How often does Kate appear? Uh, I don't know, because they don't do much on TV. Yep. Um, why doesn't Kate McGregor appear more on television? I don't know. Okay. But, I mean, look, this is a whole other discussion, but Channel 7 this week have announced... I mean, um, I'm happy to make it quite clear. Kate McGregor is a transgender journalist. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I her, didn't guess why she doesn't appear on TV. Well, I, I don't know why she doesn't appear more because if they're looking for different different um, voices and female voices, and Kate is now Kate, Kate identifies as a woman is a woman and needs to be respected as such. And gee, her take on the ball tampering saga was an insight. It was it was far deeper than most. Yeah, no, she's done a, she's done some great cricket writing too. I think she wrote for or still writes for the uh, Australian. Uh, we've got to wrap this up and just quickly on that point, I will give Channel Seven some kudos, and this isn't in a footy sense. Um, they announced this week some additions to the cricket commentary team: Alison yep. Mitchell and uh, Lisa Stavecker, yeah, uh, both of whom are excellent, and Tim Lane as well too. So. That's actually at odds with what I'm saying, isn't it? Well, well Lisa Stalek has done quite a bit of work already, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, she it? has. And uh, Alison Mitchell has forged a really good reputation with the ABC. But I always love listening to Tim on cricket, so I'm really glad he's got a gig there too. Anyway, that's another sport. And uh, time now for another segment. On Footyology. Previews with Punch. All right, we're gonna, certainly going to punch through these because uh, it's been a fairly longish show today. Last of the Thursday night games at Adelaide Oval, 7.50 Eastern Standard Time. Adelaide taking on the Cats. Uh, some pretty significant team selection stuff here, finally. The Cats have lost Harry Taylor structurally. Uh, that's a big one. And the Crows get uh, Eddie Betts back. Um, but they've lost someone as well, haven't they? Uh, Richard Douglas. Yes, that's who I was thinking of. Um, so... Gee, Adelaide, Adelaide are gone for the finals, um, and I think deep down they probably know that. And Geelong have had some reasonable results against them. I, 
yeah, I tell you, it's a real danger game for the cats. See that the cats could conceivably be outside um, the eight, couldn't they? If they lose this, they're only in by half a game. It's all so. log jam stuff now. It's what? It's log jam stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, there's well, there's four teams on uh, thirty six points, I think, and GWS half a game behind them. Um, I'm going for the cats, but only by a kick. I would say. No Miles Polky, no Adelaide is your theory? <laughs> yeah. no, not as such, but no, who do you think will win? I think Adelaide can win it. Um, interesting to see that there's a Fogarty out for both teams. There is. Uh, hang on, we're going to do the Creedence Clearwater. Well, there, there were two Fogartys in Creedence at one stage because yep. John was the lead guitarist and his brother Tom, Tom was rhythm, yeah. and Tom left. Uh, Tom was yeah. I'm like, pretty sure the last album, or maybe the last two albums, are only a three piece because Tom pulled the pin. Obviously, getting was, jealous but John of his was older far brother. more influential than Tom. Oh yeah, no, Tom was Tom was rhythm. And I would John su- was late. and I would suggest that Darcy Fogarty is more influential than Lachlan Fogarty. Uh, yes, although L- L- Lockie has been okay, I think, but yeah. he'll he'll be watching this game. Looking Who? out his back door. <laughs> who's, who's, the, who's the fortunate one? <laughs> fortunate son. The same, but in the song, it's he's the fortunate one. Oh, I, yeah, I it's, that's a great, isn't that a great song? They were the first band I ever got into. I had all well, their albums by the time well, I was Well, that's mine. one of the great albums of all time. Yeah, no, they were a great band. Oh, oh, there's just so many songs we could have fun with here, but unfortunately, we don't have time. Let's go to Friday evening and um, in a ocean of really ordinary Friday night football, this is the uh, well, Mariana Trench. <laughs> we'll wait for the game. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Look, it might be might be a close, hard fought game. But when fifteenth plays eighteenth, and fifteenth has three and a half wins, and eighteenth has one win, and I'm speaking, of course, of St Kilda Carlton, doesn't have. It's not really the Friday night showstopper they were looking for. Well, let's may- be honest. Maybe not for you, but when you went through a childhood like mine, where St Kilda couldn't beat Carlton vir- virtually for a decade, oh, and yeah. got. Yeah, pummeled by them year in. So it still has that significance, oh, doesn't it? To me, St Kilda Carlton always resonates. Yeah. And I never take a win for granted. I think we'll beat them on Friday night. And I'll welcome... As Yasser Arafat said whilst holding a gun in the United Nations, I welcome, welcome, welcome this. <laughs> um, so St Kilda for you. Uh, St. Holding Kilda, a gun. St Kilda for me too. Jeez, uh, the Blues were awful um, last week. And they tend to be sort of one-off, one-on, so they'll be better this week. Yeah, and they're, they're playing, they play Eddie had better than they did, but uh, gee, you know, it's been an ordinary season and I think the Saints need to knock up a fourth one here. Let's move on to Saturday, and um, gee, some Saturday programs have been pretty ordinary too. Over the, where have all the good games been this year? Um, let's go down to Launceston at one uh, forty-five p.m. Hawthorne taking on Brisbane, of course, uh, first time around. Brisbane ex- absolutely stunned the Hawks for their first win of the year. Can't see a repeat of that this time. Um, Hawks. I watched that game really closely against the Bulldogs last week, and I thought their second half was pretty awesome. And all those senior uh, big names, Roughhead, Gunston, um, Bruce, all stood up. And uh, they're in the eight, and I reckon they're going to stay there. Uh, Hawks will win it pretty comfortably, I think. You know, did Hawks play Gold Coast twice last year? 
Um, Did they lose to them at the MCG? No, they lost to them. They got smashed up at annihilated, uh, Metricon. Yeah, annihilated Metricon. Uh, there was a game at the MCG that finished... Don't ask a question you don't know the answer to, Fanny. Uh, we'll, but Carl will check. We'll look it up, yeah, but he won't there was do it one now because we've got about a there minute. There was one with that very close finish at the end. Yeah. And I reckon... What, what I'm saying is I was going to say that there's no way Hawthorne, having lost to Brisbane so comprehensively, would allow themselves to lose to them again. But that sells, Not in Tassie, though. But that, that, that sort of sells short the confidence that Brisbane would have gained from that win and mm. their last two wins. Oh, and they're playing good footy. Yeah, no, look, I don't think it'll be a slaughter, but I think Hawthorne will win. I think I'm they... going to tip Brisbane. Okay, well, you heard it first. If well, they get they've up... They've been great. They've been really good the last two weeks. Yeah. Haven't we all... Been full of praise at how they're yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's a bold selection, and I commend you for it. Uh, let's move on. But I mean it. I don't just yeah. tip the matter. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I don't pluck them out of me. Not doubting the re- sincerity fundamental of your orifice. Tip. Let's go to the uh, MCG now, the Twilight game on Saturday, 4.35. Melbourne taking on the Western Bulldogs. Uh, Melbourne absolutely dominant against Fremantle up in Darwin last week, and the Doggies... Good for a half, and they'd been good the previous two weeks, but basically after half time, it was back to the doggies of most of this season. It's on the G where Melbourne feels far more comfortable. Um, yeah, I'm a bit worried about that second half by the Bulldogs. I think uh, Melbourne will, oh, not by heaps, but I think Melbourne will win it by enough. They need to keep winning too, as one of that log jam. Yep, Melbourne, I think, um, sort of got their mojo back albeit inaccurately last week, and that's good for them. They were disappointing against St Kilda, but they don't want to take this game lightly. I think the Bulldogs are enjoying this young gathering. They're enjoying each other's company. But I am tipping the Demons, and Gold Coast did beat Hawthorne at the MCG. So they beat them twice a year. Yeah, Yeah, okay. What was the margin in that game? Uh, 16 points. There was a a 50-metre penalty when it was really close. So they kicked a couple of goals late Gold Coast, but there was... Um, I'm trying to remember the Hawthorne player who gave away a, a key 50-metre penalty. Doesn't matter. We'll look it up. and I reckon it was Caden Brand. I reckon Caden Brand stepped over the mark just near the end of the game. Okay, round 17, 2018, we're talking about now. And Gold Coast taking on Essendon at Metricon Saturday evening, 7.25. Uh, Bombers, good last week, uh, to a point, without, without getting the result against the Pies. Uh, game is up for grabs, but um, they're disappointingly, I think their leaders sort of were outworked in that final quarter by the Pies. Uh, Suns, oh, they're just a bit of a horror show, aren't they? Now, what have they lost in a row? 10? 11? I think it's 10. Um, 12 after this weekend. Yeah, I think, uh, well, a couple of significant outs to the Bombers. Um, Paddy Ambrose out with a hamstring and Jake Stringer. Who has been good in uh, during the, their improved form? He's missing as well, but I think there's enough there to go on with. Um, important we say here we're we're previewing this game before selection, but I'd be staggered if Aaron Francis doesn't come into that Essendon side this week, and I'm looking forward to that. So Essendon to win comfortably enough. I can't add to that. Okay, well done. Simple, a win. Yep. And let's hope they play well and win, because you can play badly in beat Gold Yeah, Coast. they're annoying, those games, when you yep. 
when you do enough to win but you don't play well. No well, one's There'll satisfied. be a lot of Goddard pointing if that happens. <laughs> um, all right, the other game Saturday night. Now, there's two big games this round. Here's one of them. GWS taking on Richmond at 7.25 at Spotless. Ripper. Of course, well, this equivalent game last year was an absolute humdinger, of course, with Richmond uh, up with uh, very little time to play and, of course, that famous end-to-end transition with Jeremy Cameron kicking a goal in, uh, what, the final minute or so and the Giants nutted the Tigers and at that moment things weren't looking great for the Tigers. I don't think that's going to happen again. No Jeremy Cameron, no Jonathan Patton either. So uh, their twin towers are missing. This is huge for the Giants because if those teams immediately above them win and they get done, they'll be six points out of the eight with six games left. And I don't think you can come back from there. Um, Now, since that game I mentioned, there's been two subsequent meetings. The Tigers got them at the MCG in the home and away season. And then, of course, they got them in the preliminary final, both... Pretty convincingly, uh, Tigers have got a few injuries. Um, Broad's out, Butler's out, uh, Graham's out. They'll get back Floston. Yeah, yeah. Hawley's due back. And their depth is great. Um, And I I reckon, you know, look, when when you've won a flag, you, you need to find new challenges. I reckon the memory of that game being pinched off and will be a bit of a motivator for the Tigers this week. So I reckon they'll win. Do you? I do. I reckon they're absolute certainty. Oh, I do. They can't lose. Oh, yeah. GWS don't have a forward line. I mean, and when there's no real tough opponent for Alex Rance, he becomes the spring a real springboard to attack. So he's going to be freed up. Whoever they put down forward, Grimes and Asprey will take care of, and Rance will play a key role. Martin's turned a corner. He's ready to grab the rest of the season. Rewalt's in career best form. Mm. Rioli's now alive, if you don't mind, umpire. Edwards playing beautifully, coming off the uh, back of the square. No, no, they're in fine fettle. Um, they'll win easily. And you know you gave all those results for GWS Richmond? Yeah. Do you remember the game that preceded those four games? Um, was it 2016? Yeah, around 22 or 23. Oh, yeah, they smashed them. I yep. mean, they, they, Richmond, were on, Richmond were in crisis. Yeah. I remember KB commentating that game, surprisingly in a good mood, or maybe unsurprisingly. <laughs> um, let's move on. Three games. Let's hear a nasty man. Three I'm games. not a nasty man. Three games. Listen to his commentary. Okay. I okay. know when KB's smiling. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Uh, three games on Sunday. Now, the first of these is the other big game of the round. Yep. Actually, there's another one on Sunday that's pretty good too. But look, at you, look at you, you snob. What? This game's good. This isn't good. Oh, I'm sick of I'm what? looking forward to St Kilda Carlton. Up yours. No, no, no. Fair enough. Well, I'm, my team's playing Gold Coast. It's hardly a showstopper. Uh, Collingwood and the Eagles at the MCG, one ten pm Pies have won seven on the trot now. Uh, Eagles, uh, pretty important win for them last week over GWS, albeit at home. I reckon a lot of people will give the definitive thumbs up or thumbs down on West Coast in 2018 on the basis of this game. It's only the second time they've played at the G. They beat Carlton narrowly. I think it was only 10 points in about round three. Haven't been back since. We know their record overall there in recent times is pretty horrendous, uh, stemming back to that 2015 grand final. 
Um, big ifs for them on selection, as there has been for a month now. You know, Kennedy, Darling, um, Liam Ryan out, Lacroix out, Barras out. Need to get at least two of that group back, I would have thought. Yep. Um, so, look, I don't think they're without a chance, but it's pretty hard to tip against Collingwood, given the sort of footy they're playing and on the MCG. So I'm going for Collingwood, not by a lot. What do you reckon? I'm going to tip Collingwood. I think they're playing great footy at the moment. They had to find something to motor past Essendon, but they did that with real. Um, they did it. They did it with real authority in the last quarter. Yeah, I, I reckon if if they could play how they played in the last quarter for four, I'd reckon they're a real, uh, an absolute massive flag chance. I reckon. They can't really afford to play like they played the first three quarters. Anyway, no. Sorry, I cut your lunch here. Go on. No, that's okay. Um, I'm interested to see how Nat Nui plays. You know, he's put in some short steps. I'm not talking actual short steps, but I'm talking effort-wise away from home over the years. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago in that loss to Adelaide. mm he was found wanting. Yeah. Back on familiar soil, much better in Perth. He's up against one of the best ruckmen in the comp. Yeah. On a ground that the Eagles don't like, where he doesn't have particularly happy memories. So let's see whether Nat Nui can lead from the front. I'm tipping Collingwood, but I'm having a close look at the timber of the man on the weekend. Okay. Uh, T-I-M-B-R-E for those wondering uh, if he was made of wood. Uh, another pretty reasonable game. You wouldn't have thought so a while back, but it is. Uh, North Melbourne taking on Sydney at Etihad Stadium, 3.20pm. Uh, real doubts sort of starting to emerge now about the Swans, who, what, three weeks ago played Richmond in a battle of 1v2, and it was sort of their examination, really, about whether they could uh, potentially challenge the Tigers and, uh, what, within a kick or... Did they hit the front? No, they were within a kick at the start of the last quarter of that game, lost that game, and since then, um, people really questioning their depth. They get Heaney and Gary Rowan back this week, but uh, McVeigh out injured. Um, who are the other injuries there? McVeigh, uh, they had, uh, there's another big look, one. Look, Hanbury had a calf. I don't know whether he'll no, come up. Uh, Kieran Jack. Kieran Jack and McVeigh were the two clear ones. Yeah. Um, now, they do play Eddie had well, even though they lost to the Tigers their last start. They've won 14 out of 16 yep. there. Um, how do you see it? I haven't talked about the Roos, so maybe you talk about yeah, the Yeah, I Roos. think North Melbourne have an opportunity here to um, sort of enter into the discussion seriously by beating a finals a consistent finals performer on a ground that they enjoy playing, but I don't think North are good enough to do it. I I didn't like Ben Brown's game last week. Why not? Um, in the first quarter, he got a couple of goals early, and then he started propping, copping for free kicks, which I'm glad he wasn't receiving. Almost should have been looked at by the AFL, some of his falling through the front of the pack. He barely took a mark thereafter. Given that there's no weight... They really need him to be clunking them. He was not clunking them. And, no, I just don't think around the ground they match it man for man. And, you know what, that boy Buddy plays beautifully at that ground. Mm. He just, you know, it's a good environment for him. I think his four or five goals, which come every week, will be the difference. Big centre bounce clearance ground too. Yes, um, it is. All right, so we're both going for the Swans there. And it wraps up. 
with what could be also a stinker, Fremantle taking on Port Adelaide in Perth. But Fremantle... Careful, uh, careful. Yeah, I know. But, yeah, it'd be typical Freo, wouldn't it? Do you know they conceded... Um, Melbourne had more than 50 more inside 50s last week than yep. Freo. Yep. I mean, that that looked like real cue-in-the-rack stuff, I reckon, uh, what they turned on. Then again, you're right. They've been, um, you know, sort of all, really ordinary away and better in Perth. But I, I reckon Port... Um, new venue for Port. But I reckon their record in Perth has been okay. And I reckon Port, right at the moment, if you asked me to nominate two grand finalists, everyone would obviously nominate Richmond. If you were nominating the other grand finalists, right now I would go out in a little bit of a limb and tip Port. Um, well, I then really... you can tip the winner if, if they're the two. <laughs> uh, well, they did beat them a couple of weeks ago. Um, anyway, I'm going for Port, even though it's in Perth. Given, yeah, it was a bit of Fortress Optus. That sounds good, Fortress Optus. But the loss to Brisbane... You can't get through it. Like with Optus, you can't get through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember you said messages on hold, that side yeah. behind the goals at the West Coast game? Don't they have that anymore? I don't know. They were a mainstay. Hopefully, yeah, they? hopefully that was I would have thought Optus would have knocked. Out. I would have thought Optus would have knocked that on the head. Yeah, well, you had chicken salt at Amy Park and messages on hold at Subiaco. <laughs> That's what <laughs> Melbourne football's really lacked over the years, Fanny. So... The loss to Brisbane, you know, they've invested heavily in the Ross Lyon way, haven't they, as a club? What, boring, well, got, boring and no one wants to know about them? No, what, they really, you know... They, I don't know, I can't work out what they coup, were about now. It was a coup when they got him. They yeah. got him into a grand final. Yeah, and, could and, have, and, and finished on top of the ladder one year and went out in straight sets after that. And... And have faith in his rebuild, which is all over the shop. It is. Everybody's. It's ev- all over the. Everybody's shop. getting a game. Exactly. So, what is their plan? I, I reckon they've lost their way. Well, you know what? If if Ross Lyon is the great coach that many believe he is, then he's got to halt this embarrassing slide towards the end of the season. I don't think he will against Port. I think Port should win comfortably. But um, if if they do win comfortably, then. What is Ross Lyon doing? I don't know. It's been a while since you heard anyone. Question. Yeah, well, it's been a while since you've heard anyone singing his praises as such a great coach, isn't yeah. it? But isn't it a messy rebuild? Who knows? Yeah, no, I agree with you entirely. It's it it appears lacking in focus and lacking in wins as well. Let's wrap it all up on Footyology. Never again. All right, our solemn vow to uh, never repeat some piece of stupidity or something that's happened that we've, uh, we're, we're declaring our, putting our cards on the table here. My never again fine is, as you know, I'm a bit of a football traditionalist, but never again will I roll my eyes at people that bring up the suggestion of a floating fixture because if that spares us some of these god-awful Friday night games we've had this year, I think that will be a good thing indeed. Other codes do it. I think if you give people like six weeks' notice, so do it in blocks of six, it is actually achievable. And um, I mean, it's just ridiculous that this weekend uh, we have, what, 15th playing 18th in the showpiece time slot and two huge games, one on a Saturday night and one at one ten on a Sunday afternoon. So never again will I uh, do the knee-jerk, um, don't-change-anything response to the idea of a floating fixture. You're up. I don't yep. like the word floating. It, yeah. it only goes before floating floor. 
Do you know what a floating floor is? Uh, it's like a wooden floor on top of a, a fixed floor. You know, it's okay. A floating casino, floating yeah. hotel, or yeah. a floating corpse. Yeah. Down the Ganges. Great. So I don't, I'm not into floating. Okay, what's your never again? And never again. I'm, you know, just talking about Ross Lyon. I mean, you know what? I called him super coach until I thought about it during our preview of Port Adelaide versus Freo. Never again will I refer to Ross as a super coach until he does something super. Yeah, no, I don't think... Uh, it's, it's, His team's full of giros and ciros and things. Yeah, it's, it's bold. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's bold. It's out there. Um, we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, enjoy your footy, everyone. You did mention uh, Ross Lyon. I think he has had a pretty good run with the media, hasn't he, in that regard. Um, you could say this about him, and uh, we did mention this earlier. I thought it was an appropriate way to go out, Finey. Is Ross Lyon... One of these.